Good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. My name is Dallas, and I'm so excited to be here with you on this nice, hot July day. Um, Today, we're going to continue the series that we started last week called Paper Walls. And what we're talking about is moving beyond those excuses that hold us back from the life that God has intended and the life that God wants us to live. And as Andy Stanley talked last week, that oftentimes what holds us back are those excuses that we make. And excuses often become our reasons for not doing what God wants us to do. And then they become our becauses. Well, I would do that, but I can't because. Why don't you go? I would, but I'm not sure this will happen because, and you can fill in the blanks with wherever you may be. And I love this picture of, of the paper walls. And every time I hear paper walls, or I think of paper walls, I always think of the same thing. And I go back to my small town high school, as I've shared before, I went to a very, very small school. I grew up in a very small town, 300 people, very small school, but game nights were huge. Basketball game nights were everything. The gym would be slam full, and the, our team would be in the locker room, and when you come out of the locker room, there's this little hallway that you're waiting in. At the end of the hallway, there was a big opening, and over that opening, they would take butcher paper, big sheets of paper, and they would tape it over the wall, because what would happen is we'd turn on the music, Eye of the Tiger, some Bon Jovi, And when it got to a certain point, we would bust through that paper wall and the crowd would go nuts and we would go out and warm up and we were pumped up. But I remember being in that tunnel before the music would get to a certain place and it was kind of dark in there. I'm in there with my teammates and it starts. The stress, the anxiety, the what ifs, what if... The, the first person on line, he's not the most coordinated person. We put a freshman up there because he's the smallest. What if he goes through the paper trips and we all fall over him? It happened once. <laughs> what, if, what if we go out there and the first shot I take in warm-ups is an air ball? Everybody's going to laugh at me. The students from the other student section are going to laugh at me. It's going to be embarrassing. What if, what if the other team beats us by 30 on our own home court in front of our entire town? I, don't, I just don't know if I can go through it. I don't know if I can go through that wall because of these what ifs. I don't think I'm going to do it because. And I think that's just a great image for me of where we get stuck in life. We get stuck in that tunnel because we're afraid of what might be on the other side of that paper wall. We're not sure, but we know that if, if I do that, I, I'm just not sure and fear starts to creep in. And we're not sure we want to take that step. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he had a lot of people that he would often tell them, follow me. Or they would see that, they would see how awesome he was and the miraculous things he did, the way he taught. And they said, Jesus, I want to follow you. But it was always followed by excuses that they would give to him about why they couldn't follow him right then or what they needed. For, or Jesus would provide their excuses for them because he knew they were coming. So in in Luke, we see a few examples of this. 
And it says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And I'm sure Jesus was like, I've heard that before, right? And Jesus' response was, Jesus, uh, Jesus said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man, me, has no place to lay his head. So let me just go ahead and tell you, like, if you're going to come with me, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be better than anything, but it's going to be hard. And then somebody else said, uh, he said to another man, follow me. And the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. I mean, that's not really an excuse, right? Like, you let me go bury my father. But the thing is, in this day, when somebody died, you buried them immediately. So this man's father most likely was not dead yet. He was either old at, at a, or, or sick at, at an age where he's like, he's going to die soon. Let me wait until he dies and I'll bury him. And Jesus' response, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Ouch. Jesus, that's a little harsh, right? I mean, Jesus being a little offensive here. Um, and then one more, he says, still... Another said, I will follow you, Lord, and then throws out an excuse. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Like, you, you and the disciples, you wait right here. Just, I just want to go say goodbye, okay? I'll be right back. Just, I got to do this and this and this. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of the God. In the, in the kingdom of God. Other words, no, don't go say goodbye to your family. Come with me now. You don't need to say goodbye to them. I have plans. I want you to follow me. Come with me. It's like, wow. Like, I know Jesus as kind, loving, compassionate, forgiving. And, of course, he's all of those things. But what I see is there's a couple things that really fire Jesus up. The first is religious people. People that think they're better than other people because they're living a certain way on the surface. And they're saying, this person's not as good as me because those people really fired him up. Like he'll go in and turn tables over for stuff like that, right? And then people that make excuses. And he, he seems to get a little harsh with them, right? A little, dare say, offensive. And I think in our walk with God, even our walk in life, it's a series of steps that we take. In fact, in Psalms 119, it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Now, imagine you're out in the woods, pitch dark. No lights around or nothing. And you have a lamp. Not a flashlight, a lamp. What can you see? Nothing <laughs> except you're right in front of you. All you can see is your next step. And then what do you see? Your next step. And so I believe that life is just a series of steps we take. And I think the problem is sometimes we're afraid to take this step because we see that one way up there. And we're like, I could never get there. But that's not what God wants. God wants the next step. And I believe that every single person here, every person online, every person in the world has a step that they need to take. You know, it, it could be a lot of things. And maybe you took a step this morning by just getting up and coming to church. Maybe your step is, you know you need to pick up the phone and make a phone call or a text and fix that broken relationship you have. 
Maybe you need to remove yourself from certain people who are toxic in your life that are causing you to go down a path that you know is not good. Maybe you just need to spend time every day talking to God, praying to Jesus. There's just step after step. I believe that everybody has a step to take. Maybe this is your first time ever being in church, and you're like, I don't know about any of that. You know what? Your step might be just say hi on your way out and come back next week, right? Everybody has a step to take where they are. And there's two things that I know about your next step. The first one is it's hard. How do I know that? Because you haven't done it, right? Your next step you haven't taken because it's hard. God knows that. And the second thing is, is that you have an excuse. You have a because of why you haven't taken that step. And so I want you to think about what, it, what is it I need to do? I know what I need to do. It came right to your brain, right? You're thinking of it. I know I need to do this. I need to do more of this or less of that. Step away from that. Step into that. Go there. Give there. Whatever it may be. What is it you need to do? And the second thing is, what's your excuse? So imagine you're having a conversation with Jesus. And he says to you, follow me. More specifically, he tells you to do that thing you just thought of. Hey, pray to me. Hey, move yourself away from them. Hey, break off that relationship. Pick up the phone. Give more. Go find that person that's hurting. Give to them what they need. Whatever it may be. He says that to you specifically, as in follow me, and then you present your excuse to him. And I wonder what his response may be. And what I love about Jesus is the way that he taught. And so what he may, his response may be to you is to tell you a story, because that's how Jesus taught. I love it. When Jesus was doing his teachings, he never opened his Bible and said, everybody turn to Isaiah chapter 5. We're going to read. No. Jesus told stories. That illustrated what heaven is like. What a life of following him is like. And these stories were called parables. So you present your excuse to Jesus. And then he presents this parable to you. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag. Each according to his ability. See, I think sometimes we get scared to do what we're supposed to do because we think we, we see down there that that. And we're like, there's no way. But that's not how it is. If you've ever had, if you have children, they were a baby at one point. If you've ever seen a baby, the first thing they need to eat is milk. You can't hold a baby and throw a burrito in front of them and say, have at it. It's not going to work out. It starts with milk, and then you, you, it's, a few months later, you start to give them some baby food. And then you maybe crush up some peas and green beans, some, some bananas. And eventually they get some big, and it just step by step, filling with, with what they need where they're at. This man that, that he gave five bags of gold to, at one point, he was probably only given one bag, and he did well with it. So he's like, let me give him two this time, and he did well. I remember when I first started going to church in 2003, start, first started going to church, and I worked in a school, 
and this other person in the school went to the church I did. And I just remember this guy. He was like, he was leaving the school because his wife and he were going on mission. Like they were going to another country as missionaries. I almost walked away from the church because I'm like, I can never do that. Like I'm not that. And, but God didn't expect me to do that. At that point in my life, he just wanted me to come back to church. Maybe step in and, and help out with the kids because that was a gift I had. He didn't expect me to do something I wasn't ready for. So he gives us, and he wants you to do what you have right here in your life right now with what ability you have. And then he goes on with the parable, and he says, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Now you get those thoughts out of your head right now. I know some of you were thinking he went to the casino. And he put it on the roulette table. No, that's, uh, that, I don't think that was even around yet. Um, but he, he, pr- he found a way to invest the money. They found a way to invest this money. And they found a way to, whether it was taking it to the bank to invest it or into a business where they made more money. But they found a way to increase the money. And they both doubled it. And then comes our man. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. In other words, he went, he got in the tunnel, and he covered it with the paper wall. He said, I'm just going to stay in here because I'm, I'm so afraid of what might happen on the other side. So then after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. God's response, master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Well done. Great job. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. God's response, why couldn't you gain ten more? Why couldn't you gain five more like the other guy? No, that's not what he said. He said the exact same thing. This verse, verse 23, is the same as 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. He finishes with him and he looks to the third man. The man received one bag of gold. Master, he said, here comes the excuses. I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. But here, see, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, like Jesus telling this parable, and it's like, ouch! Wow, God. Jesus, that, that's hard. Like, you're, you're being harsh. It's so unlike you. 
And, but I think Jesus knows that we need to take a step towards him. We need to put aside the excuse and take a step forward. And he knows why. And so there's a few things I think that we can see in here that are the whys. Why we should break through the paper wall, break through the excuses and the becauses and all of this, and take that step. And the first one we see is that those who are faithful earn favor. It says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So there was a man named um, R.J. Letourneau. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was alive around the late 1800s into the 1900s. And he grew up a very poor man when he was younger. But he had this dream of inventing large dirt-moving, large earth-moving equipment. And he started to invent these things. And here's a few of the things that he invented. Some of these, look how large they are. They always have somebody like to show you the scale of the giant size that they, of the, this equipment is. And R.G. Letourneau thought, I want to do this. But he was not just somebody who was an inventor. He was not somebody who just had a passion to invent things that move dirt. He was also a godly man. And he knew, he had heard, you know, I, I read the Bible, and I know I'm supposed to give 10% of everything I make back to God. I'm supposed to take 10% of all my earnings and give it to the church. And I get to live on another 90%. He knew that. But he said, you know what, I'm going to do something radical. I'm going to give 90% of everything I make back to God. 90%. And I'm going to live on the 10%. And what begins to happen is he's given more vision about more things to make. And over the course of his life, in the early 1900s, he was responsible for almost 300 patents on huge, large equipment. There's a university named after him now. And he just began to be blessed and blessed and blessed with ideas, with resources, and he was quoted saying this, I shovel money out, and God shovels it back. But God has a bigger shovel. In other words, you can't outgive God. Not just with money. Now, you're just like, Dallas, wait, are you telling me that if I get $1,000 tomorrow, and I bring $900 to the church and put it in the offering plate, money's going to start falling from the sky? I'm going to start getting checks in the mail because I'm in, if you can promise it. Not necessarily, uh, probably not, to be honest. But you can't outgive God. When you begin to give to him, whether it is your money, your time, your service, your gifts, your resources, your kindness to others, whether you're giving to God or giving to others in God's name, he will give back to you. He will bless you. I love this verse. Luke 6.38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap for the measure you use. It will be measured to you. In other words, when you take something, you give it to God. He takes it and he puts it in a bag. 
And then he begins to fill the bag, and then he shakes it together and gets more in there and then pours it back in your lap. Blessing. Money? Not necessarily. He may bless you with health. He may bless your finances. He may bless your children for what you give. But the measure that you use, and Jesus said this. This is a promise. You take care of my, you, if you take care of my things, I'll take care of your things. It's, you can earn favor with God. Uh, the second thing that we see is that those who make excuses rarely make a difference. In, uh, in verse 24, the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, throwing his excuses out, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Like just, I, I know this and I know this and I, I would have done it but this, but this, but this. And the master replied, you wicked, lazy, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Like, you know that. Like, you know that if you don't do what I asked you to do, that I'm going to come back and you're going to get it. You knew that? And you still, what you should have done was put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would receive it back with interest. You should have done something that makes a difference. You can either make excuses or you can make a difference. You can't do both. Uh, by a show of hands, how many of you like going to the beach? Like you just love a beach day? Oh, my goodness. Now, I've already talked about being offensive, and so I'm going to offend you now. I'm sorry. But something's wrong with y'all. Thank you. Um, I just, I don't, I don't understand it. Um, it's, but being the amazing husband that I am, I took my wife to the beach on her birthday this past week. And we sat on that thing for four hours. And there was all the sand that just never goes away. It's always there. There's the seagulls that won't leave us alone. I just want to eat my sandwich and my shrimp without them sitting there. No, it's mine. Go away. And do I want to go get in the water? Sure. Let me go get in the freezing water with sharks. That sounds great. But that's not the worst of it. You know the worst part about the beach? The stinking sun. The sun is evil. And it pounds down. I sit there and I sweat. Like sweat dribbling down. I'm get, starting to get pink, which I know is going to turn to red. And this is supposed to be enjoyable to me. But my wife enjoys it. And in fact, that whole part about you being weird if you like the beach, let's just strike that from the record. You're awesome if you love the beach. Um, but so I thought, you know what? I'm going to make the most of this day. I'm going to get some sun. And you may look at me and you think, well, Dallas, you got a pretty nice tan, right? I mean, you look like you got some sun. But if I were to take my shirt off right now, one, I'd never be allowed back on the stage. And two, you would probably be blinded by the whiteness and the glare from my tanless body. And, but I thought this day, you know what, I'm going to go get some sun. But we get out there, and Dawn's in her chair, and she's just enjoying the sun. And I'm in my chair, and I got an umbrella, and I'm just trying to read and squeeze under it. Like, it's hitting my arm. 
And I just, she's like, I thought you wanted sun. I'm like, I do, I'm in the sun. She's like, you're blocking the sun. You're not going to get a tan that way. But then the wind started blowing, so we had to put the umbrellas away. I'm like, oh. And so I got my 7,000 um, SPF sunscreen, and I lathered it all over me. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get sun now. She's like, no, you're not. You're blocking the sun from what it's trying to do. And that's what our excuses do. They block God from the difference he's trying to make in your and those around you's life. Your excuses block the opportunity that you have to make a difference. Jackie Robinson, we saw a thing on him this week. Unbelievable. He had every reason. He had every excuse not to do what he did. What a lonely, sad place to be. But he said, you know what? No. Forget the excuses. I'm going. Did he make a difference? Thousands upon thousands of people are allowed to play baseball now because of him and the choices that he made. Abraham Lincoln. Do you realize how many times he got beat in like a smaller race and then he went on to run for Senate and got beat again and again and again and should have walked away? I know if I lose an election one time, it's like, all right, thanks. See ya. But he just kept on, kept on. It probably had the biggest impact of any president we've ever had. Because he didn't let excuses stop him. So you can make excuses or you can make a difference. But it's almost impossible to do both. And the third and final thing that we see is that those who make excuses miss out. Like you can miss out. And... In this verse, it says, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we hear this and we think, so if we make an excuse, God's going to send us to hell. And that's not what this actually means. This weeping and gnashing of teeth is just a, oh, an agonizing. Like I, he, he sees what the one that had the five has he sees what the one that has the two has and he missed out on all of it when i think of weeping and gnashing of teeth the first person i always think of is my youngest child weeping uh, uh, like constantly about this or that but daily uh so we have a pool and Daly's always been afraid to jump into the pool. Like he just, he wants to get into the shallow end. And we've had the pool for a couple of years. In the past two years, he just, he won't get in. He, he won't go jump in. It's like, Daly, how about this? I'll get out in the middle and you jump to me. No. Like get on my back. I'll swim out to the middle and let you go. And I'll swim right beside you. No. And he just, he won't do it. So the problem is, is that he, that there's this game that when he has hit, like we have, the boys have friends over that are swimming. There's this game that they all love called dibble. Now, what dibble is, is where you take a water bottle and you, the, you take the cap of a water bottle and somebody swims it to the bottom of the pool and you put it on the bottom of the pool and it slowly starts to rise. 
And what's happening while that cap is rising is all of the participants are standing around the edge of the pool waiting. And when they see it, they yell, dibble, and they jump in and try to grab it. And if they grab it, they get a point. If they miss it, they have to splash around and get back out, and then somebody else happens. Daly loved this game, loves it. He's like, can we play it in the shallow end? And everybody's like, no, we play in the shallow end. So he, he stands on the side, and I watch him, and I watch all these kids around the edge of the pool, and they're, they're playing, and he's over there, like, he's kind of trying to get involved. And he's like, oh, ah. And he's, he's up, he's distraught. I go and say, Daly, what's the matter? He's like, I want to play. He's like, I know you want to play. You're missing out. You, if you would jump into the pool, you could play this game. But you have to jump in. You have, you have to take that step. You have to go. And, and, but, but until you do that, you're going to miss out. He's like, but I'm scared. And I, I, I say, I get it, Daly. I know, I know you're scared. But the reason that you're missing out is because of those excuses that you have. And so now, um, th- this past, a couple weeks ago, um, I'm sorry, a couple months ago, we opened our pool back up. And Daly's like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to jump. I, I'm gonna. He, he starts to do a little bit more. He's like, like, starts to go down to the deep end a little bit. And then he just eventually just jumped in the pool. And then he's like, you know what? That was so bad. And he gets up on the diving board. And he jumps off the diving board into the pool. He's like, yeah. And then he dives into the pool, all because he took that one step. I think what Jesus' response is, we're like, how is he so harsh? How can he say those things that could be so hurtful to people? Like, don't go back and say goodbye to your family. Don't go bury your father. What? How could he say that? It's because he knows what's on the other side of those excuses. He knows that he is everything. And that in him is where peace and joy, and happiness, and uh, everything is, all the time. He sustains you through that. He knows that if you're just standing on the inside of that paper wall and you're afraid to break through, you're never going to get to the place that he wants you to be. You're never going to get to the place he's called you to be. And so it's, it breaks his heart. He's like, you got to follow me. Look, I, I don't expect you to be down there. Just Follow me. What's your next step? Just what's your next step is to take that step. And I I think Jesus wants to take your hand and take that step with you. Because when we finally make the decision to break through those paper walls, you will experience breakthrough like never before. And you'll live in that breakthrough and you'll soak it up. And eventually, yes, another step will come. But then you have had the courage to take that first step, and now you have the courage to take another one. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for those who have come today to to hear your word and to hear you, Jesus, in what you want to do in people's lives. I thank you for your power, Lord. And I just ask um, that there are people in this room and there's people online right now who they know what their next step is. But they also know what their excuse is to why 
They just don't think they can do it. And God, we know you're not mad at us for not taking that step. We know you're not ashamed of us. You see our future and you hold it in your hand. And you know when we will take that step. And you know when we will have the courage. But mostly, you know that we need you beside us to do it. So I pray that you will be with everyone in here, everyone online, as we, as we lift up that next step to you, Jesus. Help us to take it. Help us to make the decision to move forward. All in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.